Well, my name is Minoru Chen, and as I told <laughs> Brother James over there, the last time I spoke to an audience like this of this age bracket, that means ninth grade to 12th grade, seventh grade to 12th grade, excuse me, uh, was over 10 years ago. So I'm a little bit rusty. Um, now, I'm very happy to be here tonight uh, with seven or 800 brothers and sisters. So many of you are so young. Um, and it is a real cause for happiness within me, a real cause for joy. When I see not only college age, with whom I have more to do, but younger than that, much younger than that. And that really uh, warms my heart to no end. And I'm even happy with the songs you call. Uh, I'm especially happy with the ukulele behind me. I don't know which sister was playing that. Why? Because that is my instrument. So it is good that we sing to the Lord with our spirit. Now tonight, the brothers have asked me to come to give a bit of a special word to you at this occasion of a kickoff of another school year. And so I found a little time in my hands and I obliged and here I am. Now, um, a little bit about myself. Let me, at least I have to introduce myself to you so you know who is talking to you. Well, I'm not going to get into, you know, where I came from or that sort of thing or how old I am because... Uh, I don't want you to know. <laughs> I want to just let you know that I uh, share a lot in common with you. I'm a church kid, Amen. and I'm not a church kid. I'm, I'm a half and half, all right, if there's such a thing. I was saved when I was seventh grade exactly seventh grade. When I was, uh, how old was I? How old is a seventh grader? Huh? Twelve or thirteen? My goodness, I was saved before that. I was saved in my sixth grade or tenth grade when I was eleven. And I say that I'm a uh, so in that way, I'm, uh, like many of you, uh, saved when I was young. And I um, was saved, however, not through my parents. Not through my parents. And that's why I said I am a church kid, but I'm not. Actually, I was saved with the help, with the prayers of my grandmother. There was a little bit of a generation skip from my grandmother to me, a bit skipping over my parents because they were not practicing in the church life. So in that sense, I'm not raised up by them in the Lord. So I'm a church kid, 
and I'm not quite a church kid. And I have the experience of both sides. I benefited from being a church kid, but I also missed something by not being one. I'll say something a little bit later about that. But tonight, I would like to just tell you, young people, that I have a lot of common with you. And I think I feel how you feel. And uh, some of the experiences you have, much of which I've forgotten. But anyway, I remember a lot of them. Now, what are we going to do tonight? Tonight, I'd like to take this rather unusual opportunity to say something also rather unusual to you all. And we have this outline here. And the subject tonight is on the characteristics of a normal young Christian, which you are. Now, you can substitute that word Christian with another word, and that is the word God-man. So you may say tonight the subject is on the characteristics of a normal young God-man, which you all are, believe it or not. If you're saved, if you're regenerated, you receive Jesus into you, you believe in him, You're a little God-man. And there are normal God-men and there are abnormal God-men. Tonight, obviously, we're going to talk about the normal kind of God-man. The right kind of God-man. And we like to look at the right kind of God-man, or the normal kind of God-man, according to certain characteristics. All right? certain signs that you see in them and you conclude that they are normal God-men and young ones at that. Now, before we get into that, I'd like to say something first. When I was praying there with the brothers, as I was praying myself, this verse came to me. You all would know this verse in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It says this. All scripture, that means the Bible, Old and New Testaments, is God-breathed. So the Bible is the breath of God. Now listen. And it is profitable. It is very profitable. There's nothing more beneficial to a human being than the Bible, than the Word of God. I guarantee you, if you would associate yourself with the Bible, if you would read the Bible, you will receive tons of benefit. Tons of benefit. Which benefit is not only for this life, but of even the life to come. That means for eternity, you benefit from what? from the God-breathed word. So may I say something to you young people as an advice, a strong advice, starting when you're young right now. Love the Bible. 
treasure the word of God. Now, you may not understand the depth of it, and the profoundness of it, and, and the truth of it even. That may come in the future years of your life. That's okay. But what I'm, not, what I'm talking about tonight is not even about understanding. Tonight, I'm just talking about one thing at the beginning here, and that is you would respect it. You would revere it. You would love it. And you would treasure it. Now, I guarantee you, if you're like this, you, your life would fill, you will be filled with benefits and profit. You couldn't even, you, to the point that you won't be able to even number them or count them. In every aspect of your life, spiritually, psychologically, even physically, you will benefit from being close to the word of God. This is not the word of some men, although men were used as instruments, as they were inspired by the Spirit to write down the divine revelation. But it is straight from God as his own breath. Now, I came up here tonight driving about seven freeways before I showed up at the parking lot here. And I must tell you today, it was a polluted L.A. basin. Now, that air won't profit you that much, okay? There's one air that will profit you forever, and that is God's own breath. That breath is holy. That breath is righteous. That breath is rich beyond measure. That breath, that breath will change your life and make you a God-man through and through. So breathe that scripture, breathe that word, get your Bible, and don't let it leave you ever. Put it next to you on your nightstand. I say again, you don't understand all of it. That's okay. But you just have it with you. And you keep it with you. Everything can burn. Okay, let's say a fire happens in your house. I'm not hoping that will happen. But even you, before you get your birth certificate, get your Bible first. Get your Bible first. All right. Now, this verse says it's profitable for several things. You may not think of these things because generally... When we talk about the Bible, we say it feeds us. It's like milk. Am I right? It's like food for eating, which is all very, very true. Even it says here, it's breath for breathing. But here, I want to point your, young, your, your attention to these few words. It is profitable for teaching. Okay, that's sort of easy to understand. But not only so, but for conviction. Conviction. That means you did something wrong. Your mom say, Joe, you blew it again. That was bad. You shouldn't have done that. I told you so. Aha, uh-huh. what do you feel? You feel convicted. Am I right? 
you feel reproved, an old English word. You feel so bad inside. You know the Bible is good for that. You say, then I don't like this Bible. It makes me feel bad. Well, let me tell you, that conviction eventually is your salvation. And it goes on to say it's for correction. Correction means you're here going, plunging along in a certain direction, and it just happened that that way you're taking is altogether the wrong path. You are just, you are just, what? Going down a wrong, unrighteous pathway. Maybe with some of your not-so-good friends. Maybe you're, you're doing something, you know, that is just not right. And you know what the Bible does? The Bible has the profit of correcting you, of leading you, from the wrong pathway to the right pathway. Isn't this good? Isn't this good? You're in school. You're with so many things. You listen to so many things. You don't know what is up or down, what is right or what is wrong. Let me tell you, the Bible has a way to direct you on the right path. And in fact, if you're on the wrong one, it has a way to correct, help you to make a course adjustment in your life. The Bible is that powerful. And I give you my my testimony from when I was a child until now. How much this Bible corrected me. And in the process, preserved me. And protected me until today from being a mess. A broken man living a messed up life, which happened to so many people. This Bible has a way to keep you from that. No small thing. And lastly, it says, this Bible is good for something else, and that is instruction in righteousness. There's something called right, and there's something called wrong. Today, people try to tell you there's no right, There's no wrong. Everything is relative. Whatever you think is right is right. Whatever you think is wrong is wrong. That is a lie. There is something called right. There's something called unright. But how do you know? How do you discern? Given today's noise level everywhere in society. From the TV, from from the internet from the movies, bombarding you, telling you every definition of what is right or wrong. How can you tell? Let me tell you, the Bible tells you what is right and what is wrong. This is huge. This is huge. In fact, in fact, this word that says um, instruction here, instruction here, has a kind of a meaning of a bit of a discipline. Uh Uh-huh. A little slap on the rear end. A little thing on the knuckle. A little discipline. To do what? To, through that, to give you certain 
instructions. Now, if you have time to read the Bible and study the Bible, you'll find out the Bible is full of instructions. Instructions. You know, you buy this fan, and you have a little book of instructions how to put it together. Then you can use it. Am I right? Without it, you just, you couldn't do that. This Bible is full of God's instructions to man. And every age of man, and tonight I'm going to give you some points of instructions to young men, young women, directly from God. Those instructions have helped me in my Christian life very, very much. So here, I just want to tell you that as a preface, this is what the Bible is good for. And you need it. You need it as young people in this evil age that, and, un, and lawless age that we are living in today. Now I say one more thing before I get in. Don't worry, I'll be done and finish in, in time. <clears throat> and that is this. Tonight, I have a lot of points here. You see in your outline, oh my goodness. Um, I, I am a... I'm, I'm somewhat famous, un, infam, infamously known as the point man because I love points. So tonight I have 10 points. Actually, Donnie, they're 12. I have two more. And I just don't know whether I want to dump it on these young people tonight, but I'll give it to you so you can make a more complete outline after this meeting. What, is, what, I, what do I want to say? This word of God, listen, is living. It's alive, like a person, living and operative. It, it, it's, it's functional. It, it gets things done. It causes things to happen. You know, you read some Buddhist doctrine, nothing happens, okay? But be careful when you come to this Bible, things happen. Handle with care, all right? If you don't want something to happen to your life, stay away from the Bible. If you want things to really happen in your life, go read it. Better breathe it. Now, it says it's living and operative. And I will tell you, among many, many operations of the Bible, which is just, you know, we can fill this chalkboard with all the good things that, good operations of the word, but I'll tell you one thing tonight. Okay, listen to me. And that is this, that the word is operative, is, that means it works. Because, listen, it has a built-in delay action. Now, there's some pills or meds that you take. You know, I don't know, some, some, some things, you know, you have a stuffy nose, you buy these, what, these uh, Motrin, or, I don't know, whatever you take, you know, certain, uh, Tylenol, right? Uh, aspirin, okay. And you go to the label, it says delay action. It will work for the next 24 hours. So you take it, it doesn't like work. Aha. Uh-huh. But slowly, that pill will just release all the, all the medication in it. 
And I'll tell you, it's good for the next 24 hours. Now tonight, I'm giving you these 10 points. These 10 points, I don't expect you tonight to get them all. In fact, tonight, if I can just make an impression on you about these points, I've succeeded. Because you won't remember it. But you know what? I'm looking to the Lord. That these 10 points will be the pill that you will swallow tonight that have built-in delay action, some of which may be six months from now. Some of it may be two years from now. Some of it may be five years from now. Some of it may be ten years from now. One day, as you're stepping out to go to college, you say, when is that going to happen? Many years from now. I'd like to tell you, it's quite possible, just as you're going to step into college, some daily action from the word tonight will start working. That pill will be activated just at that juncture. Just at that very juncture, you're going to college, some point will come up in within you. Will surface within you, will just come to your memory. You're digging into your own notes. Well, my goodness, what was that meeting in Arcadia in 2016 in, when I was in junior high? Well, that's interesting. Let me take a look. Whoa, 10 points. As you're doing that, the delay action starts. Do you believe this? I also have a lot of experience of that. So I'm sitting there listening to a message. Mm, mm, it's good. I tell you, 10 days later, two years later, mm-hmm, the fizz start to happen. <laughs> I tell you, that word start working in me like I couldn't believe it. That's another prophet of this word. Now, with all of this tonight, I'm going to get into these 10 points with you, right? I hope you, I have your attention. Okay. What are the characteristics of a young man of God? You know, God, man, I use another word, a man of God. That's Paul's word. Even the Old Testament word, a man of God. Man of God. Paul called Timothy. Oh, man of God. So which is what you are. What you all are. Because you belong to Jesus. You've been saved. You are a God man, a man of God. That's the meaning of a Christian. Now tonight I'm going to just quickly go through with you. What defines you as a man of God? What are the signs. And I'd like you to consider these things. Now you say, how do you come, with, come up with 10 or 12? Well, very simple. I only look for those verses in the Bible that has to do with young people, youth, young men, because that's relevant to you when I prepare this word 
tonight. Number one. Number one. Okay, and don't worry about all the verses and all of this. You just listen to me. Number one. Remember your creator. I start there. Remember your creator. That means don't forget him. You may know him. You know your creator. But you forgot about it somewhere. The word says, don't forget him. Ask the creator. Remember him. Don't let any of these kind of Darwin theory and people come from monkeys and such. And today, so much out there is to make you forget your creator. In fact, it's designed to do that. The curriculum are designed to neutralize you as a God-man. To make you secular. To make you ungodly. To make you just like anybody else. So the word here is remember your creator. Look up to the stars at night. Really, take a look. Of course, in L.A. it's a little hard. But go up to the mountains and, and go to the retreat. Look at the stars. I was once at Yosemite. And I, was, I lay on the grass on the top of a, the mountain and I look up. And the amount of light from the stars actually was blinding. I never knew stars were that bright. It, I couldn't hardly look at it because it was blinding to me. Not like here, you just see a little, little, little something and it's all just fog. Am I right? Or not fog, smog. I tell you, when I saw that, I didn't just say, oh, that's, that's pretty. I tell you, the first thing I remember, there is a creator. Next time when you're in your lab, in your biology class, you look into your microscope and you dig down into the cell. You look at these little organisms. Look at that, the wonder of it all, the beauty, the structure of it all. Someone made that. It's your creator. Next time you stand in front of the mirror and you're looking at yourself and you have to say, like the psalmist, I am beautifully and wonderfully made. I don't mean you should take a selfie, right? (laughs) But as a man, as a woman, as a human being, you are God kind, made in God's image according to his likeness, and you should remember your creator. Amen. God made me. And God made this whole universe. And it says in this book of Ecclesiastes by the preacher Solomon, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. He said, When you're old, it's a little bit late. In fact, he said, before the evil days come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no pleasure in them. What what are those days? Those are the days of the old man. 
when you're an old man. The word, the advice here, the word of wisdom here is remember your creator in the days of your youth when you're young. I like you, actually, every, you say, well, I remember him as my savior. That's not the point here. That will come. I'm saying remember him as your creator. The one who made you, the one who gave breath to you. The reason why you're living and existing today. He gives and he takes away. The fact that you and I are still alive today is because of the creator. So there are these verses. I hope the teachers and the serving ones help the young people to read some of these verses, references that is not printed out. In Psalms, let me just just give an example. It says that heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament proclaims the work of his hands. Day to day pour forth speech, the speaking. The days are speaking and night to night tells out knowledge. The nights are talking, but there's no speech. It's soundless words. There are no words. The voice is not heard. Brothers and sisters, the fact that you don't hear God does not mean there's no God. The the fact that your eyes, physical eyes, don't see God does not negate his existence. It says here, the heaven is speaking. The earth is talking. All these things are telling you there is a God. There is a creator. Zechariah, it says, the burden of the word of Jehovah concerning Israel, thus declared Jehovah who stretches forth the heavens and lay the foundations of the earth, doesn't stop there, and forms the spirit of man within him. If there are three main creation items, it would be the heavens, the whole sky, the earth, this little special planet that we find ourselves in, and number three, you and me. And more particularly, our spirit. There's nothing like us. There's nothing like man. Heaven and earth and man are right there before us. They tell us there is a creator. I won't get into some of these other verses. Romans 1, you better read it. The invisible things of him, both his eternal power, this is God, and divine characteristics, have been clearly seen since the foundation of the world, being perceived by things made all the creation items, so that they, that's us, would be without excuse. You look at these things. You have to declare, you have to conclude, you have to exclaim, there is a God. And why would people to say there's no God? The word explains. Because though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, deliberately, and thank him, but rather became vain in their reasonings and their heart, 
lacking understanding, worse darkened, professing to be wise, they become fools. There's a word in the Bible that says, only the fool would say there is no God. Don't join the fools. They think they're smart. But don't don't join the ranks. Those are the ranks of the foolish. The real smart people are those people who say, there is a God and he is my creator. I want you to stand up against the teaching of today. The prevalent things in education. Don't let them snuff you out. Don't let them take away this fundamental, the most fundamental of all human belief. That there is a God, and more so this God created me. And so I owe my life and everything to him. Now let's move on. The second point, young brothers and sisters, this is a characteristic of a man of God, is that he fears God. Now today, they even have this, do you have t-shirts? No fear. Have you seen those t-shirts? I think it's some kind of surf thing or, I don't know. You know when I see people with no fear, I start getting scared for them. It is the most fearful thing to not fear God. You say, well, the second point should be love God. No, no. Loving God would come later. Fear God first. Fear God first. I like all of you young people to have a what we call godly fear. Sometimes you may not even listen to your parents, right? I, I did that too. I, I, I've been your age. But never lose your fear for God. He is to be feared. And if you fear God, you will be protected. You'll be greatly protected. Fear preserves people. That's why I don't jump out of airplanes. I don't skydive. I don't bungee jump. Because I have a fear of God. I I shouldn't say fear of God. Because I have certain fear. Healthy fear for my own well-being. But this is not just a fear of for your own well-being. This is to fear God. The very God of this universe. Even, let me tell you, you may be at the brink of doing something bad. Really going off. And I've heard many stories. The last moment. That fear 
kicks in. That fear kicked in. And last moment, save this per- person from jumping off that cliff. I heard many stories. And in some ways, I experienced that. Maybe not in such an ac- acute way or crazy way, but in principle. I was going to do this. I'm going to be stubborn. No one is going to stop me. Not my mom, not no, nobody. Not my grandma, nobody. I'm going to just do it. I tell you, at the last moment, that fear was thankfully embedded or inculcated in me. That fear kept me. Now, a few verses for you. The main verse is 1 King 18, 12. It talks about this Elijah. You know, this prophet Elijah, he gave a testimony. He says that, I, your servant, he was talking to the king, have feared Jehovah since my youth. I love this. I love this. Young brothers and sisters, from your young days, learn to fear God. In some verses here, in Luke, it says this. And his mercy is unto generations and generations unto those who fear him. You know, if you fear God, mercy is yours. Mercy will flow in your direction when you fear the Lord. I guarantee you this. This is principle. People who just kind of like, ah, like this. They reject not only God, they reject the mercies of God. And trust me, we need a lot of those mercies as we go on with the Lord. Okay, I go on. In uh, Peter, it says what? In Peter, it says, listen, Peter is very terse, you know. He's not like Paul in the long sentences. He says, honor all men, period. Love the brothers, period. Fear God, period. Honor the king, period. That's it. Fear God. What an instruction. Okay, another word. Who will not fear, O Lord, in revelation and glorify your name? We have to not only fear God, we have to fear his name. Revelation again. A voice come out of the throne, you know. God's throne saying, praise our God, all his slaves and those who fear him, the small and the great. Yeah. In Deuteronomy, Jehovah, that's God, the Lord, commanded us to do all these statutes in the Old Testament so that we would fear Jehovah our God for our good Always, and he would preserve us alive as we are this day. The Lord preserve those who fear him. He does. He really does. Well, there are too many verses. I love this one in Psalms. The intimate counsel of Jehovah is to those who fear him. Listen. If you don't fear the Lord, you won't really know what is in God's heart. You won't. I guarantee you won't. 
his intimate counsel. God opens his heart only to those who fear him. You want to know the Lord intimately? Fear him. All right, I think Psalm 111, the fear of Jehovah is the beginning of wisdom. All wisdom begins here by fearing the Lord. I better go on. I better go on. Now, to fear doesn't mean you're scared. It, 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 it has that meaning. But it doesn't mean every day you stand there, you're just scared. Is he going to strike me with a lightning bolt, you know? Uh, no, no, not in that way. That, that's, that's, that's a bit superstitious. Fear means within you recognize who he is. And the immediate natural response to that is a deep respect. Am I right? I use the word you revere him. It is a proper kind of a fear. Number three, I better go on. Honor your parents. <laughs> Young brothers and sisters, this is a instruction to you. I'm giving to you. Honor your parents. You know why? I like to tell you, you know, there, there are the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments, right? There are, there are five on this side, and then there's five on that side. Okay? And all this side, this side, is all about how we handle God. And all of this side is on how we handle man. This ha- talks about our relationship with God. This side talks about the relationship with man. So commandments such as you should not murder, it's here. You should not steal, it's here. You should not commit adultery, it's all over here. This side is all God. You should not, not make an image. You should not bear, use his name to bear false witness, bear witness, etc., even keep the Sabbath is, is here. But I believe honor the parents is also here. You say, no, that should really be here because it's my folks. They are also men. It doesn't talk about God. Let me tell you, it's right here. Do you know, young brothers and sisters, how you behave and de- how you are towards your parents? has to do with how you relate to God. Why? Because eventually your parents and your parents' parents and their parents, and you go all the way, you come to Adam, the first man, who was called the son of God in Luke. He was made by God. That means you trace your parenthood through your ancestry, you end up in one spot. And that is the source. And that is God. So to honor your parents is to honor God. Now, I don't mean your parents are always right. I don't mean that. But they're your parents. Children, Ephesians 6. See, this is why I... 
talk to you this way because I talk about children. We're all children here. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. In the Lord, obey your parents. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Let's find out what that promise is. And here's the promise. That it may be well with you that you may live long on the earth. You want to live a long life? You honor your parents. And when you honor your parents, you are what? You are honoring your source. And that is God himself. God, God made this a commandment. Not in, just in the Old Testament. I'm quoting you from the New Testament. From the Apostle Paul himself. He repeated that in Colossians. Children, obey your parents. In all things, for this is well-pleasing in the Lord. Brothers and sisters, I don't care what culture you're from. You're, you're, from, uh, you're Hispanic, you're Chinese, you're Korean, you're whatever. This is universal. Honor your father and mother and your days will be extended. It says in Proverbs, don't. Don't, I mean, hear the instruction of your father and don't reject the teaching of your mother. Listen to the father who begot you. Don't despise the mother when he, she's old. Even the Lord Jesus at 12 years old. This is God himself in man. And he was, he was at that time debating, discoursing with the scribes, the Pharisees in the synagogue. Abley, at 12 years old, Jesus. And so the parents say, where is this kid? Where, where was he? So they all trekked back to Jerusalem and found him doing exactly that, that I just described. And the Lord didn't say, hey, get out of here. He did say, I'm here about my father's business, referring to his heavenly father. But you know what? Right after that, at 12 years old, he followed his parents home until he was 30. Now that is not just a Jewish custom. That is the word of God. I know what I'm talking about here, brothers and sisters, because of this age we're living in. I want you to get another kind of teaching that is from the Bible, that is from God. Let's go on. Treasure your faith. You know, what faith? The faith in God, the faith in the Lord Jesus. Now, I have a verse here in Timothy, having been reminded, you know, you know Paul, Paul was talking, Old Apostle Paul was talking to young Timothy. <clears throat> I'm always reminded, Paul said, of the unfeigned. That means the real, the real. Okay, there's nothing fake here. The real faith, un, the pure faith that is in you. Listen, which dwell first in your grandmother. I always love this verse because that's what happened to me. My faith. Actually, of course, my faith came from God. But 
Practically speaking, my faith came from my grandmother, who was the first to believe in the Lord Jesus in my family. Who dwell first in your grandmother Lois and then your mother Eunice because it got passed on. You know, faith can be passed on. And I'm persuaded dwells also in you, Timothy. Now, I come back to church kid at this moment. I know that is sometimes a derogatory term. You don't want to be called a church kid because it comes with certain connotations. That is not always positive. But tonight, I want to tell you, if you are a so-called church kid, you are the most blessed person. That is not a handicap for the rest of your life. That is not a curse on you, as some may think. I wish... I'm not a church kid. I wish I'm not born in the church. I wish my parents never found the recovery. Let me tell you, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know how blessed you are to be one born in Zion. I was half born in Zion. Even when I'm half I was half born, I celebrate. I am thankful. I'm full of gratitude to God every day that I have a grandmother like that. And I gave over time many stories of my grandmother who bothered me to no end until I'm saved. Whom, when I knew was coming to my home to visit me, I, I hit myself. You know how I hid myself? Under my bed. Because I knew when he came, it was, I was uh, in primary school, he would, he would make a beeline towards me, and he would grab my hand, he would sit down and say, Minoru, have you believed in Jesus yet? Let's pray right now. And let's read a couple of verses. And let me tell you, I hated that. I hated that with a passion. So when I knew he's coming, I would go under my bed, which has these billowing sheets that cover the sides, and you don't see anything. You don't know who's underneath there. And I would hide there for an hour, two hours, until she leaves. And nobody knew where I was just to get away from her. That's my grandmother. Today, i like to tell you all, without her, I won't be standing right here. I won't be standing right here doing what I'm doing without my grandmother. She's dead now for many years. That faith that dwelt in her, somehow God transmitted to me. Now that somehow is actually not that mysterious. It's mysterious, but it's not that mysterious. I can tell you how. You want to know how that faith came to me? She prayed for me 
every day. She prayed. She just, when she prayed, she named names. My grandmother named names. She doesn't pray for, oh, oh Lord, all my, young, all my grandkids. No, no, no. She goes down, all 13 of them at that time, from the oldest to the youngest, and I was somewhere in the middle there. Naming names. Young people, if you're a church kid, that's something not to be ashamed about. That's something to boast in. The day will come you will thank the Lord for having such parents and such grandparents that allow you to be here today. Now, so I say, young people, treasure your faith. That faith that came from your folks or your grandfolks that came to you now, that faith in Christ. Treasure that faith and don't give it up. Don't drop out of that faith. You know, today people that go to these big schools, wonderful colleges, 80% who have faith in God, of all those who have faith in God, come out on the other side denying God. 80%. And some professors in some of these Ivy League places, one of the top ones, said this. People come in. This is college. First day in the class. How many here are professed Christians? A bunch of hands raised up. Good. The purpose of this class is by the end of this class, none of you will raise your hands. It's stated by the professor at the first class. The purpose of this class is to get rid of your faith. So that you leave here not believing in God. And that has happened. I have two verses here in Peter 1 and 1 Peter and 2 Peter. I put them there because most, both of them talk about the precious faith. Peter described this faith that he had as precious. Precious. Young people, your faith in Jesus is utterly precious. Even more precious than gold, Peter said. You may not feel that way today. But what has been transmitted to you is absolutely precious. My dear young people, treasure it. Don't let it go. Don't let it go. It's too dear. Too, too dear. The faith you have. Number five. Trust in Jehovah. I've got to be quick here. Trust in Jehovah. Do you trust in the Lord? Maybe not that much. But when you're young, learn to trust in him. Even a little thing, you're getting on the airplane, it's about to take off. 
Say a prayer. Is anything anything wrong? I do. <laughs> Not all the time. Oh, you say, oh, come on. You know, the Lord takes care of you whether you, you pray or not. Well, maybe. But praying surely makes me feel better. I tell you, even little thing, this is little, very small. First day of school, my goodness, this new year, what am I going to do? Trust in the Lord. Give this whole school year to him. What friends am I going to make? What things, what is going to happen? Trust in the Lord. Learn from your youth to trust in him. So I have this verse. Listen, it's printed here. For you are my hope, O Lord Jehovah, my trust from my youth. From when I'm little and young, I learn to trust in the Lord. I just trust in him. Today, the people in the world have nothing to trust in. They fill with anxiety. I mean, look at all the crazy things going around us. Who can you trust? No one. No one. Even your best friend may turn around and stab you in the back. Your closest buddy may betray you. These things happen all the time. Someone that you put all your faith in, the bottom falls out. In the end, no person, no one you can really put the trust in. Only the Lord. He never changes. He is faithful. No one is like him. Trust in him, young brothers and sisters. Even in little things. Today I was driving here on using my Google. You know, do you, well, you are too young maybe. This is the first time I drove all by myself with Google. So I said, I'm going to test it. Then I Google with the address from Irvine to here. Then the, the, the route came out, right? And it's totally a route I've never taken. But I said, I'm going to test Google out. Instead of going north on 405, which is I usually do, it tells me to go south. Totally the wrong direction. But by the time I got on the freeway, it was too late. And I started to get scared. What if I show up here late? Be terrible with 800 people. And no one on the podium. Okay, so, you know what I did at that time? I trust in the Lord. I said, forget about Google. I said, I, Lord, I trust in you. Help me not to be late. It would be terrible. Don't think this is too much. It is not. Let us go on. Number six, seek the Lord's face. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Amen? What a right song to sing. Here's the verse, Psalms 24, 6. This is the generation of those who seek him, those who seek your face, even Jacob. 
Young brothers and sisters, young brothers and sisters, I want you to give you a greatest piece of advice. And that is what? That is seek the Lord's face all the time. For the rest of your life. Every day you seek his face. You set even yourself on a course of your life to just seek his face. I tell you, there's no greater blessing to have the Lord's face. Do you know what the face is? In the old, that's an Old Testament verse, a word mainly. The countenance, you know, the face. Right here. That is the New Testament meaning of presence. You know, that's why, you know, there's something called face bread, you know, in the Bible, in the tabernacle. It's the bread of the presence of God. So to seek his face, brothers and sisters, is to seek his presence. I like even when you're so young. You're so young. You're in junior high. So little. You don't know much. But inside, there's something that directs you, that tells you. Seek his face. Young man, seek his face. And seek, and it will be found. Since my high school days, the Lord drew me, and I started to seek his face. In all these 50-plus years, I have been seeking his face. I'm telling you the truth. I'm still seeking his face because, because the Lord's presence is everything to me. I can lose it all. But I can lose his presence. I can miss a lot of things. But I cannot miss his presence. To not have the Lord's presence is pain. Is suffering. And to have the Lord's presence is the greatest happiness and joy on the earth. One thing I have asked from Jehovah, that do I seek, to dwell in the house of Jehovah all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of Jehovah and to inquire in his temple. When you say, seek my face, to my heart, to you, my heart says, your face, O Jehovah, will I seek. How about let your heart do some talking? You know your heart talks? My heart talks. It talks to me. Sometimes it says, man, seek his face. Man, stop your busyness right now. Man, turn your heart. Man, turn your eyes upon Jesus. My heart talks to me. Seek Jehovah and his strength. Seek his face continually. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. That's all I will say. 
you know, in Corinthians it says we have a, should have an unveiled face to behold the Lord. I know these are a little maybe deep or whatever for some of you young ones, but I'm looking to the Lord for delay action right. ten years from now. You just get some impression. It's okay. You forget all the points. It's okay. But I pray for delay action. All right. I better be quick to finish. Number seven, breathe the scripture. So it says here that from a babe, Timothy. That's why I like this verse for you. You've known the sacred writings. That's the Bible. That's the Old Testament. Which are able to make you wise unto salvation through the faith that is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed. For teaching, conviction, and so forth. I talked about that earlier. That the man of God, which you are, may be complete, fully equipped for every good work. So I would just say, and there's another verse here that's very important. I didn't print it out. John, 1 John 2.14, speaking to the young men. I have written to you, young men, because you're strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. A characteristic of a young, normal God-man is he has the word breathe into them. They have the word, the Bible in them, occupying them. Read the Bible every day, please. A chapter. You don't understand. It's okay. It's okay. Just read it. Just read it. It will make you strong. It will help you overcome the devil. Okay. I better go on. Read the Bible. Build up the habit of reading the word of God when you're young. Next one. Pursue with companions. Flee youthful lusts, it says in 2 Timothy 2. But pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. The simple fact is this, that by yourself you cannot do it. The principle is we all need a companion or two. We all need some other brothers and sisters. We all need a support system, as they say. And in Ecclesiastes, two are better than one. If one fall, one will lift him up. Isn't that great? If two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Terrible. And while a man can prevail against one person, the two can withstand that one. And the threefold cord, three persons, is not quickly broken. Look, there was a general, Chinese general. He will try to teach this young learner of his about strength in numbers. So he took an arrow out of his uh, quiver and he said, look, look at me. Here's the arrow. He goes, pow, like this and the arrow was split into two. Now he took out a few and he did the same and he couldn't do it. Why? Because now there are four or five arrows. Same arrows. You know what? If you're all by yourself, you're easy picking for the devil. You know the devil is a sniper. When there's a bunch of people. He doesn't know what to do. But when you're alone. Uh-huh, he will train. His telescope on you. And he'll get you. And I've seen. Christians taken out. Just because they're alone. 
So have the companions. Run away from the youthful lust and pursue the Lord Jesus in your, in your junior high days, in your high school days with your brothers and sisters. Your best buddy should be in the church life. Nine, coming to the end now, nine, purify your way. Young people, today this world is just dirty. Just, I just use that one word, just dirty, filthy. That's a word we all understand. It says in Psalm 119, what should a young man keep his way pure? With what? It says by guarding it according to your word. Again, the word is so important. For you to keep your way pure as a young God-man, a young Christian. You try to do it yourself, you couldn't quite do it. You need this word. So, I have verses here about some of the which you might have read even this afternoon in your, in your meetings. Talking about a vessel unto honor and dishonor. It says, if anyone cleanses himself from this. That is purifying your own ways. It doesn't say someone will cleanse you. It says you cleanse yourself. And then there's a verse in 1 John that is actually the last verse in 1 John. Little children, guard yourself from idols. So you need to be a little bit proactive with the help of the Lord, with the Spirit. Guard yourself And purify your ways. When you see these things are not good, filthy, dirty, stay away from it. Run away from it. That's not the place for you. That's not the environment for you. Be careful who you hang out with. Be careful who you associate with. That has great influence on you. So on the one hand, pursue with the brothers and sisters, and on the other hand, guard yourself. There is, there is this thing that says the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth in Genesis. Starting even as young as you are, those imagination of the fallen heart is evil. It's not just outward influences, but it comes from inside. But there's another verse in Proverbs that says, guard your heart above all that you guard. Because out of it issues life, the springs of life. Little brothers and sisters, not little, young brothers and sisters, keep your heart. Just keep. Keep your heart. Keep your little heart. Say, Lord, help me to guard it against everything because my heart is only for you and nobody else. Finally, finally, number 10. Offer yourself to Christ. And I have a verse here in Psalm 110. Your people will offer themselves willingly in the day of your warfare, in the splendor of their consecration. Your young men will be to you like the dew from the womb of the dawn. 
So this is a verse about young people giving themselves to the Lord in the days of warfare. And I have a lot of verses here that you can go back and read in the Old Testament about the people willingly offer themselves. Willingly. That's the key. Willingly offer themselves to become men of valor. Those who would fight with David for his kingdom. Today, our David is Jesus Christ. And, brothers and sisters, we're all his army fighting here on earth for his kingdom. And what we need, what he needs, are what? Are people who have willingly presented themselves to God. These are virgins. These are those who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. So, young brothers and sisters, offer yourself to the Lord. Offer yourself to the Lord willingly. At every chance. Okay? How about this? Do you at least have some impression? Good. I'm glad to hear that. I hope the serving ones, this, even this little outline is intended for you. You can make use of it as the Lord leads to help our young people today in these things.